Allegheny Mountain Radio is a rural community radio network in the Allegheny Highlands of Virginia and West Virginia, within the National Radio Quiet Zone. From its first broadcast as WVMR-AM in 1981 to the present and beyond, I hope to shed some light on our past 40 years of hyperlocal broadcasting. This is Unique by Nature. My name is Sage Tangway, and I am the station coordinator of WVMR in Pocahontas County, West Virginia. Last episode, we learned about the first decade of broadcasting at WVMR and how the flood of 1985 had quite the impact on the station's development. If you are unfamiliar with the region, keep in mind that WVMR was a completely new concept to the community and brought along a massive expansion of communication capabilities. Here's Sue Fertig. Um, back when the radio station started, I was Sue Van Devender, and I came and I sang on the radio then, uh, pretty much since it started back in the early 80s, and then eventually um, worked there in the later years. Sue eventually served as bookkeeper and assistant general manager for the network, but here she recalls an earlier memory. I actually remember the first day that the radio came on. I was in high school, and um, I believe I was home, though, that day. I, it, I think it started, was it maybe on a Saturday, because for some reason I was home, and there were other kids calling in, too, and I remember my mom was working in the kitchen, and I was there um, doing some things around the house and listening to the radio, because it was exciting, you know, um, with the radio starting and we had never had anything like that in the counties. And so we were listening, and they were having people call in that to tell them where they were listening from to see how far the signal was going out. And I'm like, oh, Mom, I'm going to call in. I'm going to call in. And so finally, you know, I kept listening to other places that where people were calling in from, and so I did finally call in. And um, I think it was maybe Gibbs that answered the phone, and I told him that I was listening then from... In this episode, we will talk about the expansion of WVMR into the network that is now called Allegheny Mountain Radio. Allow me to take you across the state line into Virginia and introduce you to Bath and Highland County. They are the two least populous counties in Virginia, respectively and even less densely populated than Pocahontas. In the early 1990s, there was a hunger for radio service for multiple reasons. I think in in Highland County, the motivation was mainly, let's have our own radio station and do the community. I mean, Highland County is so highly community organization oriented. Rurton clubs kind of run the county or did back then. This is absolutely the case. Highland is an agrarian community, with many of its landowners running cattle yearly. But its true claim to fame is its maple syrup production. The cold winters in the mountain terrain making it possible despite the region's latitude. Highland is known for its maple festival and other events that serve to attract tourists to the county seat of Monterey. Community clubs and local churches are a huge influence on the activities in the county. Mill Gap area could get the WVMR signal pretty well. And the Mill Gap Rurton Club, they got interested. George Bird was just an amazing guy. 
who was from Mill Gap, and he was the president of the Mill Gap Burton Club. They decided to run one of their members for the board of directors. And it was the Presbyterian minister of the Beulah Church and the Monterey Church named Bill Cox. And once he got on the board then, we started thinking more about that. And uh, the president of the board at the time was a guy named John Geiger, whose wife worked at the Back Creek Project. And so he had connections in Bath County. Through these connections on the Pocahontas Communications Cooperative Corporation Board and the fact that trace WVMR signals could be picked up in certain areas, the process of bringing community radio into the Virginia counties began. Claire Collins, who was the Bath County Administrator, started using WVMR as a communication tool even before, you know, WCHG went on the air. because it would work in Bacova in that end of the county. But she really got how it could work. She was really a good communicator. Claire Collins was county administrator for 14 years and also served on the Bath County Board of Supervisors. Here she is reflecting on her first interactions with WVMR. In 1992, when I first started as county administrator, I became aware that there was... um, a radio station in uh, West Virginia, and I uh, met Gibbs Kinderman. Uh, He would come over to Bath County um, to, basically, he was doing a lot of meetings with John Hart, um, and John Hart was with the engineering department of the homestead, and so he was meeting with John, and they were talking about radio stations and just communications in general. If you've ever heard of Bath County before, it's likely because of the Homestead Resort, currently owned and operated by Omni Hotels. The resort was established in 1766, so the economy of Bath County has always focused on tourism and outdoor recreation. At the time, there was a great interest in developing the communications capabilities, both from an economic and emergency services perspective. There's not a central point in the county to connect the whole community outside of just your schools, which are, you know, community centers. But to actually have the whole community be seen as one county versus, you know, different segments of the county, that was the intent of what can we do to re- to actually have a radio station in 1993, uh, 94 time frame, we were uh, pretty much trying to update our emergency operations and our emergency communications and look at that. The interest in Bath County was more from the, the public side. Um, John Geiger got us invited to a mock disaster drill and there was a tabletop exercise, and so we went and we played the radio station to show what having a local radio station might be, how it would be advantageous in time of emergency. And that convinced two or three of the Board of Supervisors and the county administrator that it would be a really good idea to have one in Bath. It was coming out of that, um, that, that drill that we actually realized that we didn't have a good emergency services communication source. We, at the time, we were just implementing um, E911, 
we also didn't really have the capacity to get the word out throughout the whole community. Um, so that was kind of the birth of the idea of not only from an economic community development standpoint, but also from an emergency management standpoint. So at this point, there was a great interest in both counties to bring the radio to their communities. Luckily, it was also seen as an excellent opportunity by the PCCC. So we had a, a planning retreat at the river cabins in Seneca State Forest. Have you ever been down there? Yeah. The ones on the river? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally beautiful world. Um, and it was moderated by the president of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters who came in to help us out and came out of that meeting with the idea that we should expand into Bath and Highland counties because covering a bigger area would have a, a stronger base to do the things we were already doing. Plus, the marginal cost of adding those services would be, you know, less than the revenue that we would generate to make the thing, the whole operation more secure. And that people were interested in that we really believed it was a good thing. The Highland Station went on the air in Memorial Day of 1995. The Bath Station was a few weeks later that it was you know, broadcasting the signal, but it didn't have a studio for almost a year. This actually wasn't the first radio station to exist in Bath County. Here's our current chief engineer, Chuck Niday. There was a lawyer in Hot Springs that built a radio station over there. It was WEMM at 1270 kilohertz, I think. It was a commercial station and it carried ABC News, I remember that. I don't know what their programming was, but apparently they were on for a few years and then they put in an FM station. WBHA. The property was owned um, by Chad Solomon, who was um, in the state legislature and also former uh, um, Commonwealth attorney for Bath County. Shortly after Chad Solomon's passing, maintaining the stations became untenable. It had been on the air maybe a week or two oh, wow. you know, under the old management. And so we bought the the license for the FM station from the federal bankruptcy court. So basically, we didn't have to get any new permits. It was a big saving of hassle. Although there was already a frequency for sale in Bath County, the physical station and equipment still had to be procured. When we needed money to build the studio in Bath County, the high school, the school board gave us that place in the parking lot, but the bank was really reluctant about lending money. And George Bird, who was the chairman of the Highland deal, was also on the board of the First and Citizens Bank in Monterey. So he said, well, why don't, why don't you guys come up here and, you know, we'll, we'll figure out a way for you to borrow some money, come and talk to our president. And I don't remember if it was Richard Byrd or Hugh Gwynn, who was the bank, a retired bank guy. Um, and they, they came to the First Citizens Bank and the lady says, oh, 
Mr. Byrd, Mr. Gwynn, whichever one is, come right in, you know. And the president of the bank came, was ready to meet them and wrote the note, said, just sign here. Didn't require any security or anything. <laughs> it was the good old days of banking when it was based on your character <laughs> and who you knew. <laughs> but that was, that, that really cleared a big hurdle for the bath committee getting the building built. That was kind of what we had said. If you, if you all want this and if you can raise the money to put up the buildings, then we'll, you know, figure out a way to get the equipment and get you started. This is one of the parts of the story of Allegheny Mountain Radio that might be a little harder to replicate, unless you too live in a tiny, close-knit region where even private institutions like banks take a major role in community development, it might be difficult to find that startup funding. Still, with larger areas comes more commerce and more founding institutions to help make similar connections. Anyhow, with the support of the public and community institutions, West Virginia Mountain Radio became the Allegheny Mountain Radio Network with the addition of the two new stations. Of course, this was also reflected in the content of the broadcast. Here's Rachel Tompkins. On the public affairs side of things, in terms of how things continued, you know, there have been um, a number of people who've been the news directors at the radio station. And there was an effort when this, when it became three counties, um, two states, one community, when it became that mantra, uh, there was a real effort to cover news in all three of the counties. So there's all, there has been from that time someone in each of the stations who has been responsible for um, covering the news. These new stations brought two whole counties of new listeners, the Highland County WVLS, which stands for Virginia's Little Switzerland, and the Bath County WCHG, which got a boost by local athletics. The thing that was wonderful about Bath County that year was it was the first year Bath County ever won the state championship in football. So that that was kind of the making of the station in Bath County. That's why it's WCHG for Chargers, right? Still, there were many improvements on the actual radio technology that needed to be made. The the original WBHA tower was just a 30-foot pipe sticking up in the air on Warm Springs Mountain, and they extended the tower that the, the resort was using and put the antenna up on there. And what of the National Radio Quiet Zone requirements? When we come back, we will get as far into the nitty-gritty of technical aspects as is casually possible with the help of Chief Engineer Chuck Niday. This is Unique by Nature. What memories come back to me As I ponder all the years passed away If I could come back to that old country church once more hear the parson say We've traveled on together Through dark and sunny days And may we always be together 
Unless you are over 100 years old, you probably do not remember a time without radio broadcasting technology. Using radio wave technology for the purpose of communication began with telegraphing in the late 19th century. World War I brought with it the development of amplitude modulation, or AM, and the ability to send audio over the airwaves. By the 1930s, the majority of American households had a radio. By the time I was born in the 1990s, radio broadcasting was a standardized, perhaps even antiquated technology. Even though I work at a radio network, the technology behind the broadcast is not something that I typically think about. I'm not sure I really have a simple explanation for it. Again, that's Chief Engineer Chuck Nyday. When he is not working at AMR, he works full-time as a technical specialist at the Green Bank Observatory. He could certainly give us a very technical explanation of radio wave technology, but for the sake of keeping things simple, we will focus on the basic concepts. Radio, I mean, it uses the electromagnetic spectrum. Basically, you're just taking your audio programming and getting it onto that carrier wave that's in the electromagnetic spectrum uh, to uh, broadcast out. Well, you can break it down into production facilities where you create the programming and then transmission facilities where you're taking that programming and, and scattering it about the, the four corners of your area to, the, to people to listen to with radios. Uh, of course, you can also uh, stream it uh, to the public over the internet or create podcasts. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to consume audio programming these days. But that's essentially what we're doing, is we're just beaming out a signal that has, has a limited range, essentially, to the listeners out there. You might recall from episode one that this area is within the National Radio Quiet Zone because of the observatory. The National Radio Quiet Zone was created in 1958, along about the same time that the Green Bank Observatory was uh, under construction. And it sets up a 13,000 square mile area around the observatory to protect it from uh, radio interference from permanent fixed license transmitters. So, in addition to applying for the general licensing through the FCC, a radio transmitter that is within the NRQZ must go through another approval process. It either uh, concurs with or objects to uh, radio signals that might cause interference. So, and you have to go through a coordination process, and that's all outlined in FCC rules. The observatory can't, can't shut somebody down, but we know the people that can. So, <laughs> Essentially, the concurrence of the observatory is pretty much necessary. With the original AM station of WVMR, this was not much of a problem. And as I understand it, um, when WVMR first went on the air, the AM station, uh, there was there was some concern at the observatory that it might cause interference, but they uh, realized that the frequency that we re operate on is way below any anywhere they're going to observe. It's it's operating at 1.37 megahertz, while the lowest frequency the observatory can operate at right now is like 100 megahertz. So there's, there's a good buffer there. 
However, in the 1990s, Allegheny Mountain Radio was expanding into FM with its Virginia stations. Once again, these frequencies had to undergo a vetting process. WCHT didn't have, have any big restrictions on it. Uh, WVLS did. And because of that, its signal radiated towards Green Bank is, is uh, greatly reduced from what it would normally be. It's, it's only like 7 watts ERP. Here's Gibbs Kinderman. The WVLS was really complicated, though, because the antenna system was designed between Don Muscle, who was our consulting engineer, who kind of thought up how the system could work, and the guys at the observatory. And it, when it went on the air, it was the most directional FM station in the whole United States. It had almost no energy going back toward the observatory. And it was a prototype antenna. So that was a real technical feat. And just all the linkages, you know, putting them together without messing up the observatory right. was a real challenge. Eventually, in the late 90s and early 2000s, Allegheny Mountain Radio expanded again in order to better serve all of the separate communities of Pocahontas County. These expansions were made possible by the Horse Ridge Studio Transmitter Link. Once we had the Horse Ridge, which is like the communication center where the, the high-frequency uh, signal comes from, once we had that, then you could shoot into Marlington, into above Hillsboro. All our ever, other FM stations, we haven't had to, to meet any really harsh limits or anything like that, it's, it, which really surprised me. Uh, like uh, WNMP in, in Marlington, we're running uh, 1,000 watts ERP, and the observatory had no objections to that. At the time of this recording, Allegheny Mountain Radio can be found on the dial at seven different frequencies. They are as follows. WVMR Frost, West Virginia, 1370 AM. WVLS Monterey, Virginia, 89.7 FM. WCHG Hot Springs, Virginia, 107.1 FM. WVMR FM Hillsboro, West Virginia, 91.9 FM. WNMP Marlinton, West Virginia, 88.5 FM. WDMT Marlinton, West Virginia, 106.3 FM and W278AL Durban, West Virginia, 103.5 FM. Those first three, WVMR, WVLS, and WCHG, are the fully operational studios where the programming comes from. On a typical weekday, we might start at WVMR, then send it over to WVLS, and end the broadcast day at WCHG. Each day has a different switching schedule depending on the programming. Well, let's start here at the WVMR studios in Frost, uh, programming, when it originates here, it goes down a pair of leased lines from here to our studio transmitter link facility on Horse Ridge. And from Horse Ridge, it gets beamed across the mountains uh, at uh, around 950 megahertz to the WVLS transmitter. And from there, it gets received and, and transmitted back out on the WVLS transmitter. And there's also a similar link from the Monterey studios to the WVLS transmitters. So when we switch, we can switch WVLS to either programming from the Monterey studios or from the Frost studios. And then 
at the WCHT studios were receiving WVLS off the air at 89.7. And that gets put on the, uh, apparently another pair of lease lines that go up to the WCHT transmitter on Warm Spring Mountain. And there's another switch at the CH in the studios there that lets you switch between the, the local console at, uh, at the studios or the WVLS signal. And then um, we used, normally we would then receive the WCHG signal off the air here at the Frost Studios, but because of antenna troubles, we're actually relaying it by a, an audio stream over the internet from WVLS, but we got to switch Force Ridge right to get it to do that. Confused yet? I know I am. I can basically tell you that it's a daisy chain between that starts here at WVMR, then heads over to WVLS, and then down to WCHG, and then back up here from WCHG. Uh, and the reason it's being done like that is because it doesn't cost us any money. We're just receiving each other's stations off the air and relaying that away, although we are doing more stuff over the internet. But uh, the internet is not reliable. We can't count on it like 99% of the time. It's just more like 90. So, but, but it makes a great backup. Except for county-specific sports broadcasts, the modern broadcast is generally uniform across the stations. But each of the stations has the ability to broadcast separately and simultaneously. Again, here's Gibbs. It was kind of a chewing gum, spit, and bailing wire operation, but it works. It doesn't work perfect, but it works pretty darn well. The core group, the board members and so on, were, were really enthusiastic about reaching out and having the Virginia stations. And the, the system we set up was, I mean, Bath and Highland never could have supported, we didn't think anyway, a standalone operation. So the idea was we'll guarantee you, you know, the 12 hours a day of programming from Frost and then you can do whatever you want in the evening hours. And if you develop more programming, you can just switch away and have a Bath County program from one to two in the afternoon or whatever. I mean, the, the, it, technically it was set up with a lot of flexibility. Some people in Pocahontas County felt like this is our station and that's Virginia. I mean, my stepdaughter came up with the phrase when she was in high school, three counties, two states, one community. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Um, that's how we saw it within ourselves, but in, the, in Pocahontas County, a lot of people were like, well, this is our station and they're taking it away. And the Virginia people are, it's a Virginia station now, it's not our station. Even though, I mean, you got the same families, <laughs> you know, it's just that artificial barrier. Mm -hmm. um, you have people from Pocahontas County and their cousins live in Bath County or their grandma lives in Highland County or between Highland and Bath back and forth. Luckily, at this point in time, it seems that a lot of those opinions have dissipated or simply weren't shared by the people directly involved with the station. Here is Sue Fertig. It was like an expansion of um, the community, even though, you know, we were reaching out further, but yet it seemed to make us all one. 
because the radio was our um, connecting piece, that even though we had our own little separate communities, um, we were one large community, as our motto used to say, um, and so that was the uniqueness and the the fun of it. You know, we had programming here, but also, you know, we had programmers from over in that area and um, singers and that type of thing, like I'm referring to, like when we did Gospel Sundays and that kind of thing, where they could go back and forth with the programming or from whichever station, you know, they wanted to or needed to. When we come back, we will hear from some of the early volunteers of WVLS and WCHD. This is Unique by Nature. this point, Allegheny Mountain Radio had the technical and financial resources to bring WVLS and WCHG on the air. Community Radio's main source of power, however, comes from the people involved. Here's a piece produced by Gibbs Kinderman remembering the late Mary Schweitzer with an audio of the first transmission from WVLS in Monterey. The date? May 27, 1995. The place? The WVLS studio at Highland High School, Monterey, Virginia. The event, WVLS goes on the air for the very first time. Hello and happy listening. I'm Mary Schweitzer. The happy day has arrived and our WVLS radio station has become a reality. So welcome to our first day and time of broadcasting. The special efforts and dedication, hard work, long hours of so many folks and Gibbs Kenderman has made it all worthwhile. And here we are on the airways from 89.7 FM on your radio dial. You will hear some good music by many artists and singers from Bath and Highland counties. As time goes on and the operational fears are behind us, no telling what all stuff will get lined up for you. Our goal is in due time to have one of the best radio stations on the air. Okay, I'm Steve Timberlake, and uh, I've been a volunteer DJ here since... uh, 1998, and uh, doing various things in various days um, through the years, and uh, mostly here at WVLS. Did you know Mary Schweitzer directly? Oh, sure. She was our station coordinator. I knew Mary. Yeah, I did. Mary was a a classic. (laughs) She was was a, 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 a wonderful lady, a good old soul, and um, everybody in Highland County knew Mary Schweitzer, and uh, probably points beyond there. And she was a real personality. So uh, she had did the uh, Tuesday uh, Tuesday mornings and Tuesday evenings 
were her DJ slots. And Keith Scott, who was our music director, got us so much of our music for years and years and years, back when <clears throat> it was CDs. And uh, he came on after her, and that was a heck of a juxtaposition between those two personalities. But everybody got along fine. And, uh, yeah, I knew Mary. <laughs> yes, I did. We miss her. She uh, passed away in uh, 2004, in October, right before uh, we came over here to the new station in uh, 2005. So Mary was not able to see that to fruition, but uh, she was. She's she's here in spirit, and uh, she was our first coordinator here at WVLS. She definitely sounds like a firecracker of a woman who had a large impact on the early days of WVLS. Originally, the studio was a tiny outbuilding by the Highland School. Several years later, they moved into a larger building with new equipment. Chuck recalls one of his early technical jobs being to switch over to the new broadcast location. I was still installing stuff the day we cut over to it, which actually is a pretty typical thing when stations move. The guys that are doing on the installation work are, are doing their best to get out of the way so that the ones that have to go on the air can actually get in there and do it. So Steve Timberlake was the first one to operate on the air live from that new facility. And so he was getting a lot of on-the-job training while, uh, while he was on the air. <laughs> sure. It was, it was wild. I had been in here before, actually over at the old station behind the high school. But uh, the first show uh, was Saturday nights at 6, and I did that um, starting in July of 98. My friends, uh, good friends Randy and Winnie Richardson um, were involved up here. They were charter members of WVLS DJ's uh, staff up here. And uh, <clears throat> they knew I loved music and thought I would be good and kept, kept after me. And finally a slot came open on a... Saturday and said, do you want to do it? And I said, okay. So I'd already trained and I was ready to roll. So uh, I started uh, started doing it. So when I did that Saturday night show for over 19 years until Excellent. until 2017 and uh, been doing the Monday night program since uh, second Monday of this century. Back in 2000, I took over for Steve Terry and uh, have been doing that now 21 some years. My cousin Tim Timberlake was a, a radio icon down in Richmond, Virginia, and he had done some stuff over in Stanton at WTON when we were in high school. He had a Saturday night show and used to do some uh, fill-in stuff, uh, running the board and stuff over there in Stanton. But as far as like being being on the air with a program, no, uh-uh. This was the first time. I feel like I've been doing it all my life because I've been playing music all my life. But as far as like being on the air and having a regular program, 1998. Mm, okay. Steve focuses on country and bluegrass programming on his Monday night show. He isn't the only longtime producer at WVLS from the early days of the station in Monterey. Well, my name is Doug Smith. I, um, I've been broadcasting now like for almost maybe 23 years this August um, from WVLS. And uh, I spent some time... Uh, on the afternoon drive a couple of times altogether for probably about three years in the late 90s and the early part of this the current century uh, I've been on the board of directors and I've spent some couple of 
couple of uh, occasions on the WVLS Advisory Committee, too, which is an important part of the radio station to uh, get the local community involved with the radio and having them express what they like and don't like. And we try to uh, conform to that because we're here to please the people. If you don't please the people, uh, you're, you're not doing your job. I know I've been around now for, it'll be 23 years this, uh, this summer. I started, in, started broadcasting in the summer of 1998. Joined the board in 97, the board of directors. Uh, I was a member of the Mill Gap Rurton Club, and one of the uh, members of the club was on the board, and he dropped out, and I thought, you know, for some reason that I should, I should try to fill in. And For Doug, getting involved with the station was a priority as soon as he moved to the area. My wife and I moved in here with our little girls, Robin and Laura, back in 96, I think it was. And the uh, first thing I did was get on the radio, because I, I grew up with radio. I'm old enough that I even remember before television, and that's, that's going back a few years. Um, so... You know, the first thing I did was turn the radio on and start going up and down the, the dial. And uh, the thing that struck me most was uh, Allegheny Mountain Radio. It was uh, playing a lot of music that I really liked and playing a lot of music. A lot of radio stations now are going to talkity, talkity, talk. And that's okay for a little while, but 24 hours of talk gets just a little boring. I, I, I like music, and I like all kinds of music, and that's another thing about our little radio station. You can go f- from classical to jazz to rock to gospel to country to soul to R&B to zydeco to reggae, and I like a little bit of all that. I'm sort of what you call a middle-of-the-road musical person. Although, I never really did understand the term middle of the road. If you drive in the middle of the road, you're going to run into somebody. <laughs> I try to stay in my lane, which is a pretty wide lane of music. And occasionally I'll get off in the shoulder, but I don't want to get into the weeds. I would say this is true of many of our DJs. While we certainly have shows that are specific to a genre, this is an open format network, and many of our DJs take advantage of that. Throughout the years, I've heard many a listener say that if they don't like what's playing just that second, all they have to do is wait five minutes, and it's likely that they will enjoy the next song. And I, I think that's good for people to be able to get on the air and, and uh, find a dimension to themselves that they might not have thought of before, because <laughs> as a kid going through school, I hated to get up in front of the class to give some kind of a book report or some kind of uh, declaration of, of what we've been studying, I just felt like I just wasn't up to it. And uh, the uh, station coordinator here back in the late 90s was um, Mary Schweitzer. She was one of the, I think she was the first voice from this little radio station here in Monterey. And she was a very persuasive person. Once she decided that she wanted you to do something, she made you do it by hook or by crook. Of course, programming wasn't without its moments of technical difficulties. We had a cassette player that we used to play the news stories on. And uh, one day, I put the cassette in and started playing it during, after the, one of the Virginia or West Virginia news stories. And it went on for like four minutes. And the next day I came in and put the same tape in the machine 
And I knew I had four minutes, so I got out of the control room, walked through the building outside to get a breath of fresh air, and pretty soon I turned around, and Gibbs Kenderman was standing uh, down the hall looking through the door at me with fire in his eyes because it turned out to be like a two-minute story, and we had dead air, and that's the bane of radio, to have just dead air for a couple of minutes. Here's Chuck Nyday again. In the early days, you know, when I first started here, we only had WVMR, WVLS, and CHG, just the three stations. We didn't even have a Durban yet. It wasn't on the air. Uh, in the... Um, the relaying was was kind of spotty and it was kind of iffy and then somebody was always forgetting to, to leave a switch set uh, correctly. So I don't know how many times WCHG was off because somebody forgot to flip the switch there so we'd have to get Pete Pitard to come out. <laughs> leave, leave home early for... He was the principal at Bath County High School at the time, and he'd have to leave early to go to the studio and flip the switch. I'm Pete Petard. Uh, I moved here uh, in 1999-2000, uh, uh, basically to be uh, with my wife, Esme, who worked at the hotel. But in the meantime, I got a job at the Bath County High School as a special ed teacher. Um, during that time... Uh, I was listening to Allegheny Mountain Radio and related back to my early days, being 17 years of age and working for or volunteering for a radio station in Barstow, California. Pete was brought on board by another early volunteer. Okay, I'm Jeanette Robinson. Uh, I have had a show in the past. I was a uh, volunteer DJ for about eight years. And right now, I am a volunteer weather person. I call in the numbers uh, for the uh, Bowler area where I live. There was a, an opening at the station, and I was kind of nudged by Gibbs. Uh, he was, of course, the station was, was new, and the bath station was, was pretty new at that point. I think we'd only been on the air about a year or so. And... Um, he was looking for someone to take over a spot, and he kind of encouraged me, and I decided to, to go ahead and do it. <laughs> so I, I guess you could thank Gibbs for, for my getting involved, but um, it, was, it was definitely fun, a fun thing. She was talking to me in the library, and we, uh, I said I'd like to be a, a volunteer uh, DJ, and so she said, well, that's great. Uh, I'll introduce you to Gibbs Kinderman and, and uh, come on over to the station. And she worked a show on Wednesday nights that uh, that preceded mine when I finally picked it up. And I thought, yeah, I've always wanted to uh, have a show and do smooth jazz and introduce everybody in the community, uh, in all the communities, uh, with smooth jazz. So Pete would come in to the uh, library a lot. And uh, I kind of, yeah, I knew he loved music and, you know, he was into the jazz and smooth jazz. And 
and I'd say, you know, we need uh, we need somebody, we need another DJ, and I just kind of nudged him. I kind of encouraged him and nudged him, and he has become, you know, he's become a guiding light there. So, yes, I I'll take credit for that. <laughs> yeah, we had a good time. We we'd have a good time. He'd come in a little early and and uh, we'd chat, and and he's a neat guy. And then Jeanette became my producer contacted people and we began to get more and more current music in at that time um, and now you know I've been a volunteer for over 20 years and uh, I'm one of the board members. Jeanette told me that the expansion to Bath was a very welcome transition. Before the expansion her choices on the dial in Bowler, Virginia were very limited. Were there any other radio stations you could pick up? Not really. I mean well we picked up um one, we were able to pick up the uh, NPR station out of Roanoke, and that's about it. It, w- it was great. It was great because once Bath got their own station, um, th- they were able to be more involved as a community. More com- more Bath County stuff was out there too, and so it really, really kind of joined together this this three county area, two state, three county area. We, and we're so much alike. We have we're lots of differences, but, but so much alike as well. Not only do community radio stations spread the word about what is happening, they can become sources of real-life community programs themselves. I started doing um, coffee houses at the library just as a, an event, you know, an, an event for people in the community. And Gibbs really liked that. So one year he came and recorded it. And we had local, obviously local people um, doing bluegrass and and folky kind of stuff. And uh, he, I still have my set of the of the uh, two discs. I think it was 1998, and uh, that was fun. That was fun. Gibbs was there. He recorded it, and uh, it was a it was a high point. It was like your old time 60s coffee house. I was trying. I was trying. This sentiment was reflected by former bookkeeper and assistant general manager Sue Fertig. Even before her employment, she was involved with functions at WVMR. I went with the local community choir, but also with my church choir. And then also my cousin and I and Diane Hoover also sang as a trio. And so we came on there. So we were down there several different times in the early days. Sue also commented on how she's seen the programming change, both as the signal expanded and as time has gone on. You know, I remember Velma Waddell having her Western show where it was part talk, like cowboy um, talk with songs interspersed in between in the, you know, kind of storyline. And I remember Virginia Sheets, you know, she would do reading stories. And I think later in the years, there was less of that and more music programs and um, having different hours for different things, but then also starting to think of ways to involve the younger generation. You know, the older generation, they just turned the radio on, on in the morning, and it was just on all day until when they went to bed and they turned it off. But with the younger generation... You know, they may look at something on YouTube and listening to it for a while and on iTunes for a while, or 
something on the radio. Today's shifting digital media environment is the most intense challenge to the economy of radio, whether a broadcaster is commercial, public, or community-based. Once again, Gibbs Kinderman. I mean, my grandkids don't listen to the radio. It's not part of their world, you know? Mm-hmm. So you've got kind of a technologically outmoded base from which to communicate. And I think that's going to be the next, the next challenge is how using that as, as a Pocahontas Communications as an institutional base, develop technologies and utilization of, of more modern technologies to try to achieve the same kind of ends. Next episode, which will be our finale, we will reflect on what we've learned so far about community radio and discuss where Allegheny Mountain Radio might go next. Unique by Nature is a production of Allegheny Mountain Radio, created, hosted, and produced by Sage Tangway. Videography and initial edits by Danny Cardwell. We'd like to extend a special thanks to Richard Hefner and the Black Mountain Bluegrass Boys for the use of their music, the Pocahontas Opera House for the use of their stage for socially distanced interviews, and to our guests, Gibbs Kinderman, Sue Fertig, Claire Collins, Rachel Tompkins, Steve Timberlake, Doug Smith, Pete Petard, and Jeanette Robinson. For more information, visit AlleghenyMountainRadio.org or find us on Facebook where we post videos of some of the interviews.